everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Simply Amazing. I'm Tim Ryder from Mesmerized. Uh, another special guest with us today. Uh, half of the radio crew of uh, covering New York Mets baseball on WCBS. With us today is Wayne Randazzo. Welcome to the show, Wayne. Hi, Tim. Happy to be on. Thanks for having me. Oh, no problem, man. Thanks for thanks for being with us. Uh, how, how, how you holding up there in these wild times? Yeah, well, uh, you know, it uh, depends where you are, I guess, uh, the, the, in terms of how wild it can be. Certainly for the healthcare workers and everybody that's involved in trying to beat this thing on the front lines, it's it's a lot wilder than it is for the rest of us who are probably bored at home right now and uh, hoping to get our uh, normal lives back going again. So I, I think uh, most of us fall in that other boat and, and now just trying to pass the time and, and, and get to a point where, you know, this country is safe enough to uh, get back to what we love to do. Oh, sure. And I think that's, you know, we all have to stop and thank the uh, the people on those front lines, the first responders, the doctors, the nurses, because uh, without what they're doing, without the things that they're doing right now, I, <laughs> it might be, it would be quite a bit longer before we get back to normalcy. So, uh, a tip of the cap to those folks. Um, you know, just listening the past, I guess, over the last year and over the last few years, just being a part of the team there, uh, it seems like you and Howie really have a bunch of fun up in that booth. Yeah, I mean, Howie's uh, great to work with. He's easy to work with. And, you know, for someone who's as accomplished as he has been in his career, you know, that that ego rarely comes into the booth. You know, it, it's 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 a very unchecked ego for someone. Uh, of his stature and, and of his accomplishments. And I think that makes it a lot easier for someone like me, who's really at the beginning of, of where they want to be and uh, learning from a guy like him. And, you know, even when I was doing the pregame and the postgame show, he was uh, just an exceptional, you know, mentor to me. He just uh, would always give me advice. He, he rarely would uh, give it unsolicited. But if I asked it seemed like he was waiting for the question and then he would give this long answer and very thoughtful answer, which is just how he is. He's a very uh, thoughtful person to begin with, but you know, he's funny. Uh, he's truly funny. And, and uh, you know, a lot of, he's funny off the air as he is on it. And uh, you know, he makes, he makes sure that we have fun on the broadcast. Uh, and, and he also makes sure that we focus on the game. You know, I think that there are times where it's good to have that kind of banter and it's other times where it's good to, be 100% focused on the game and he knows exactly where to draw that line. Yeah, I guess, you know, kind of comes with the experience and, you know, as a lifelong Mets fan, you know, Howie between Howie and Gary Cohen and even going back to, you know, Ralph Kiner and Fran Healy and just down the line, I guess, uh, you know, these, these voices and yourself included, you know, you guys have kind of a, a place in our homes, a place in our heads all the time. It's, you know, it's a, uh, it's truly a service that you guys are doing for the fans. And I guess, you know, I guess the closeness between you and Howie and it's just, it's evident and it kind of makes the, the magic of baseball and radio that much cooler. But, uh, you grew up. A Cubs, that. Oh, of course, of course. Now you grew up a Cubs fan, right? Uh, yeah, I grew up in Chicago and, you know, was, was lucky to have uh, two teams here too. You know, they were, uh, the Cubs and the White Sox and both sure. from separate leagues and, you know, kind of the same thing that, New Yorkers experience where you can really watch both leagues, which, uh, you know, at the time when I was a kid and probably when you were a kid, you couldn't really do that without, uh, without seeing both teams playing. It wasn't any interleague play back then. 
Oh, sure. I remember the advent of it. And that was, uh, that was a little, a little it was fun for, for a while. Personally, uh, I think it may have run its course, but I'm sure things will change up soon. Now, it, it, it couldn't have gone unnoticed that some of the bigger names on the mid-90s Cubs eventually, not even just the big names, but down the line, kind of made their way to those that, that 2000 Mets team or 99, 2000, 2001. Uh, you know, you go down the line, Todd Zeal spent some time in Chicago, uh, Todd Pratt, Matt Franco, Steve Traxel, Turk Wendell. Um, you know, you guys, I guess, I'm sure you weren't really following the Mets at the time, but seeing these guys that I'm sure you were rooting for move on and, uh, and I guess perform very well in, in some cases. Um, that must have been, I guess, a, a cool tie to, I guess, your eventual uh, tie to the Mets. Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned that because being around the Cubs and, and watching so many of their games as a kid and then being hyper-focused on the Mets and you know learning more about their history, there's tremendous overlap, and not just with that era either. You know, Sean Denston ended up being uh, with the Mets after a long career with the Cubs. Right. But even go back to Dave Kingman, who was one of the <laughs> most prolific sluggers in Mets history and in Cubs history. Uh, so they, they really had overlap in a lot of ways over time. Of course, in, in the 90s, as you mentioned, there, there were, there was even, there were a lot of ex-Cubs on those Mets teams that ended up in the playoffs. But there were two trades, one that happened and one didn't, that really affected both teams. Of course, when, when the Mets, when the Cubs got Lance Johnson and Brian McRae was traded to the Mets and there was Turk Wendell involved and there was and Mark Clark was involved in that trade. There was this big multiplayer trade that the Cubs and the Mets had, so which created a lot of that overlap. Yeah. And there's also, which maybe something Mets fans don't even realize, a, a potential Mike Piazza overlap because when Piazza was traded to the Mets, he thought he was being traded to the Cubs at that time. You know, they were very about to turn the corner in 98. They made the playoffs. And, you know, they thought they were going to get Piazza to be this big piece. And he was told, go take a shower. I'm going to finish this trade by his agent. You're going to the Cubs. So he went into the shower thinking he was headed to Chicago. He came out of the shower. His agent called him again and said, never mind. It's not the Cubs. You're going to the Mets. So that was it. He was he was for about fifteen minutes thought he was a cub and ended up being a man. That is most certainly a story I'd never heard. That is that is wild. Just it is. I I, uh, I actually I asked Mike because I had heard that rumor before and I asked Mike to confirm it and he said yeah hundred hundred percent true. He thought he was going to Chicago. <laughs> so cool. Well, thank goodness he came. He came to New York because uh, that was that was the cornerstone. <laughs> Oh, that was the cornerstone, man. That was that was the piece. But um, I guess on Thursday, uh, article uh, you had spoken with manager Luis Rojas. Uh, I guess regarding the layoff here, um, I actually covered it for for Metsmerized. It was just you really, you guys had a very very cool conversation. Um, do you sense his? I guess do you feel that his even keeled approach to everything that's gone on between Beltran, um, the hiatus now. And the kind of the, the sense of confidence and belonging here, do you think that um, his calm under pressure is kind of foreshadowing what's to come as far as once his actual major league managerial tenure begins? You know, from an outsider's perspective, I think that is a good way to look at it from people that know Luis and have been around him, people inside the Mets organization. It's par for the course. This This is who he is. And this is why he's been a successful manager in the minor leagues. He's been a successful manager in the Dominican Republic. And again, 
when you think about winter ball and you think about the Dominican League, that that's real baseball. That is that is not minor league baseball where you got to develop players and you're thinking about prospects. That's that's wins and losses and it's serious business in that country. And it's managing under a lot of pressure. And he handled it and won a championship there. This is this is who Louis is. And it's it's not a surprise to you know, if if he's always at a five out of ten, it's not surprised that uh, during a global pandemic that he's still a five out of ten. He is right in the middle as he always is, and uh, I think it will look good on him as a major league manager to be that way. You know how it results in wins and losses. You know the players have a lot to do with that. They'll have to manage a major league pitching staff, something he hasn't had to do before, and he still will have to deal with the media quite a bit. And that's still a task, especially in New York. So. It's uh, it's still a lot to learn about Louis as a big league manager, but I, I do think that 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 calm demeanor, which will never go away, is something that will allow him to be successful. Because for the most part, a lot of the guys who have been successful as managers in the last twenty or thirty years have all had similar demeanors. Oh sure, and I think uh, you know it seems that the the players in the on the roster now who have played under him in the minor leagues, um, even the the new faces and the guys, it, you know, it seems he commanded a respect and he got that respect from from the moment that he walked he walked into the job and uh, you know there was of course familiar uh, being familiar with him from last season, but just seeing the roots kind of take hold uh, in this brief spring training that we saw this season. And again, from an outsider's perspective, but boy, it seemed like the, the locomotive was, was, was kind of moving. Um, it, it bodes well for the future of the team for at least it appears, uh, from our point of view, but now the hurdle that he has to climb over with the loss of Noah Syndergaard, do you think that, well, I guess one is the team, equipped enough in Porcello, Waka, minor league depth, and the, I guess, the next man up mentality that's kind of going to be up to Rojas to instill. Um, you know, do you, do you feel that this is going to be truly something that could derail this team, or do you feel they're prepared for this challenge? Well, anytime you deal with an injury like that, it, it could potentially derail you. I mean, the Yankees didn't have Severino last year, and it didn't really seem to hurt them much, except maybe you could say it did in, in the American like, Championship Series. Mm-hmm. And um, you know they'd have to prepare this year without Severino too, and and it didn't didn't seem like it affected how many wins the team was going to have. Now Cindergard's a bit of a different issue. I think the Mets are, are a very complete team right now, but you know offensively, you know will they score enough runs to to overcome some extra runs given up by the pitching staff? You know it seemed like Noah was going to be ready to go for what could have been a, a monumental year for him, and you know you you don't have that incredibly strong starting rotation like you did. I think it's still pretty good. And obviously Jacob's probably the best pitcher in, in baseball, if you ask me. But <laughs> it, it goes it goes down maybe more sharply than it did before from DeGrom to then Stroman and the rest of the group. Uh, I still think it's solid one through five, even with, with, with Mats and Waka now both being guaranteed spots. And, and Rick Porcello, you hope, bounces back from what was a, a truly bad year last year. But uh, I think a lot of the pieces are still there. I think that they are pretty well insulated, which they really hadn't been the last couple of years. And that's a good thing. You know, we don't really know what the season is going to look like. And we don't yeah. know what kind of tax that will have on the pitchers. But I, I think the pitchers will feel it a lot more than anybody else. And I wouldn't be surprised to see Major League Baseball allow rosters to have, you know, maybe 15 or, or 16 pitchers this year just to kind of overcome the extra games 
in terms of having to play without many off days and maybe some extra double headers that, that teams aren't used to. So, you know, it could be interesting in terms of that. But I think the Mets are okay. And I wonder if there are a lot of double headers, if there are one a week, let's say, mm-hmm. you kind of need a six man rotation for that. Yeah. And if Seth Lugo at that point, will he finally get his chance to be a regular starting pitcher? And I think that would make a lot of sense if double headers are a regular part of the schedule. Well, you know, that could make sense. He's been so effective as a relief pitcher. Um, and not that he, I mean, his numbers as a starter were fine. And you know, he has that competitive drive to be a starter again. He's made that perfectly clear. Um, you know, and he's also made perfectly clear he's not a fan of the opener. But boy, seeing Lugo go in there for two innings to start the game and then pass it on in the case of more double headers or just having to kind of have to fill a day. Um, yeah, yeah no, I, don't, I don't. I don't mean as an opener. I mean as a as a legitimate I know. one of the six starters. And I think it's I think it's worth noting that you know comparing Seth as a starter to his numbers as a reliever, I think it's a little bit misleading because you know he's grown as a pitcher. He's a lot better pitcher than he was than two years ago when he was starting more regularly. So we don't really know if those numbers are going to revert back to what he was like as a starter or if they'll say stay similar to what they've been as a reliever. You know, he probably won't have the same strikeout rate as a reliever that he's had, but, you know, if he's even in the neighborhood of that, he could be a very effective starter. And, you know, I think it would be a good opportunity for him to to prove to the Mets what he's been trying to say all along. Oh, sure. And um, uh, just with the, you know, the advanced metrics on his stuff, the, the, the control that he's able to, that he's, I guess, been able to show um, as he's progressed is just, you know, incredible. He could put that curve wherever he wants it. Uh, it's really, it's a, um, it's a really nice arsenal. And yeah. sure, I think, I think putting him into the rotation is on an as needed basis could certainly be a plus. Do you think the bullpen would, would feel his absence or do you think he could be that swing man that could do both? Yeah. Again, it just depends on the schedule. If you're, if you're playing yeah. a doubleheader a week, then you need him to be in the rotation permanently for the, at least for the season. Yeah, um, sure. If you know, you can do a Robert Gasolman too. I mean, you can make him one of the starters, yeah. and and I think that would lessen the hit in your bullpen because Lugo was so heavily relied upon. Uh, you know, it, it depends too how the bullpen looks. You know, I think Dylan Batances was probably, even though he said he was going to be ready for opening day, it was starting to trend like he wasn't. But yeah. you know, now he certainly will, and and you hope by now that. All the velocity is back, and that Patanzas looks a little bit more like the guy we saw on the other side of town. Uh, everybody expects Edwin Diaz to bounce back this year. Everybody expects Jerry Spamilia to bounce back this year. And they pitch so poorly that even if they don't get back to where they were, and they're just kind of in the middle, it's still a tremendous upside from what they were last season because they, they were both in such bad shape last season. So uh, it, it, we'll see. Justin Wilson looked great in spring training. We don't know how any of this is going to carry over. The, the pitchers sure. have to all re, you know, restart. I personally don't think there's going to be much of a exhibition schedule before the season starts. So let's say they plan on a June 15th opening day, just throwing a date out there. I don't mm-hmm. think they're going to do more than a, a week or two at the most of spring training. So it's not going to, it's going to not going to be like the pitchers are going to have a lot of time to get going again. Yeah, they're just, you know, kind of getting into a groove and being at this game is such a it's just such a, a routine type of uh, type of activity that, you know, it, like you said, it's going to take time to get back into the uh, into the swing of things. Um, 
anyone who follows you on Twitter might have caught a couple of weeks ago. You posted a picture of it was uh, I believe 1987 tops. It was a whole board yeah, uncut. Yeah. 88. I'm sorry. Yeah. And would you mind telling the story of how you came across that? Because that is something that you just don't see very often. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't, I've barely seen any since that I, that I got this thing. Now, I was in first grade in 1990, and uh, so I was six years old, and I was every my whole life was baseball. I, that was the only thing I thought about, and uh, the only thing I talked about, and so that was it. And my teacher. Um, you know, she was a very nice lady and, and she was a good first grade teacher and all that. And she, uh, she pulled me aside one day after school. I kind of thought I was in trouble. And she said, I, I've got a, I've got something for you. And she told me that this friend of hers worked at Tops and that she told him about how this kid in her class was just this baseball freak. And he gave her this uncut you know, essentially a poster of uh, a sheet of 1988 Topps uh, baseball cards, and, and she gave it to me. So uh, I've kept it ever since. It's a little bit. The picture doesn't show the beat-up parts. I framed it so it wouldn't, but um, it's a little beat-up in the corner. But, uh, but it's mostly in decent shape, and there are just a lot of cool cards on there of, uh, of players from the past. And a lot of guys who have, just on that one sheet, have become major league managers. Bruce Bochy's on there. Ron Renicki's on there. Um, you know, Mark Grant, Mudcat, the uh, Padres TV analyst, is on there. And yeah. actually, he said he took the picture and made it his Twitter uh, avatar. So he, <laughs> he, uh, he's on there. And there's just uh, there's a bunch of guys. A lot of former Mets are on there. I, I think uh, Tim Tuffle was on there and Rafael Santana was on there and uh, Doug Sisk was on there. So uh, it's, cool. uh, it's a pretty cool thing. Uh, do you still collect? No, I haven't uh, collected baseball cards in a long time. I'm not even sure if people still do, but I still have my collection. So, uh, what I what I did have, you know, up until I was probably, you know, in high school, um, is still intact, and I probably have over ten thousand cards. And uh, I haven't gone through in a long time, but I'm sure now that there are a lot of people that I know or that I've met or that are still involved in the game somehow. And um, you know, looking back at them now would probably be pretty interesting. Yeah, hey, we, we all have time to kill over the next few weeks. Yeah, so really. Maybe you break that box out. I might. But, um, so do you think we're, we're, we're going to get some baseball in some form this season? Of course, speculation only. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, we, we have not been told anything other than baseball wants to play. Yeah. Um, the players want to play. This is so different because, you know, really any time in the last hundred years that baseball's experienced any sort of work stop. Remember, they didn't stop for World War II. They played right on through it while most of their players were in were fighting in the war. I mean, could you imagine today that, you know, Anthony Rizzo is in is fighting in a war or Pete Alonso's fighting in a war or Jeff McNeil's fighting in a war, DeGrom. I mean, these were the types of players that were fighting in World War Two and baseball kept right on trucking. I don't I don't even know if that would happen. I don't even know if social media would allow that to happen in, <laughs> in today's world where these guys were off fighting in a war. And the Mets were playing the Astros on a on a night in June with a bunch of guys that wouldn't be in the major leagues otherwise. Uh, it, it, it's so crazy to think about the past in that way. But uh, you know, as far as the players today, they're not. This is not a work stoppage, and this is not something where they can't be around. So they're itching to get back. And it's uh, you know, I've I've heard a lot of things about 
no matter when they start playing until, you know, December if they have to. So they're committed, and I think that's a good thing. Will there be fans at any point this season? I'm not sure. I know the players want to play in front of the fans and, and want to be out there and feel the adrenaline of the crowd. I don't know if you've watched any WWE while they've been doing shows without an audience, but it's it looks more ridiculous than it ever has. <laughs> it, it, it seems crazy that they're doing these shows without without fans in the arena, and nobody wants that. But I, I do think that they're committed to play, and you know, hopefully June, July, maybe August. I don't know, but I, I do think that they're you know maybe they'll even start September first and play just sixty games. I, I think they're committed to doing whatever it takes. Well, you know, I think, like you said, everybody's kind of pushing to at least get some baseball played, whether it's the owners, the players, the fans, everybody just wants, you know, just wants some baseball back in their lives. And, um, you know, it's got to be safe for everybody. It's got to be a zero risk atmosphere for everyone in attendance, whether it's just the players and teams or broadcasters, whatever. Um, And at this point, I mean, there's a light at the end of the tunnel, but boy, the tunnel could be quite a long way. (laughs) Yeah, it's tough, you know, because, you know, you mentioned the broadcasters and even some of the coaches, you know, they skew older, you know, you know, Gary and Howie are both in their 60s. I mean, John Sterling's in his 80s. I mean, these are people that you know, are, are seemingly more at risk to catching this thing and, and having more trouble with it than someone like me who's in my 30s. So, um, you know, you have to look out for those people too. And, and I think that baseball will. And, uh, you know, I think once the country starts putting pieces back together, that, that baseball won't be far behind. But, you know, they will have to, I, I don't think there will ever be an easy moment with the season. You know, if this virus is still lingering at all uh, during the summer, you know, it's not an impossibility to think that they can start up and then stop and then have to go back and, and have a delay again. So, um, you know, I don't think anyone will feel like they're going to just start and then play right through and not have any problems. I, I think that will be in the backs of our minds throughout the entire thing. You know, yeah, you you would hope that would be the case. And, you know, safety first. I guess that's <laughs> the bottom line. Baseball comes second in times like these. Yeah, Absolutely. But, Wayne, I think that's all we got for today. Um, I, again, thank you so much for coming on. Um, how are you guys keeping busy throughout the uh, throughout the hiatus? Yeah, well, you saw the thing I wrote with Louie. I mean, that was just I did. Uh, part, of the, uh, part of the staying busy. You know, Howie and I have done a video call, and I think we'll do a, probably a second one next week. Excellent. Um, so, you know, we're, we're trying to just stay out there and, and let everyone know we're thinking of them and, uh, you know, try to try to keep uh, some semblance of uh, of normalcy around, and and you know, so it's not just uh, news beating you over the head. That maybe we can have a a little levity over over this time too. So uh, we'll we'll be around, and hopefully we'll be back out there pretty soon. Excellent. Well, we're looking forward to that for sure. Uh, please stay safe to you and yours, and uh, we'll talk to you soon, Wayne. Thanks so much. Okay, Tim. Thanks a lot. Thanks, man. All right, everybody. We'll see you next time. Yeah!